0: For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op this beautiful Thursday morning. Sun's up in the D.C. area. It's nice, nice, nice outside and inside. And on the phone today, we have Miss Sheila Myerson. Good morning, Sheila.
1: Good morning. It's
0: actually Myerson. Myerson. Okay. Got it. Thank you. And I also need you to pronounce S O C I O C R A C Y. Sociocracy. Sociocracy. Okay. That's it. You Sociocracy. got it. <laughs> Okay, I've been practicing that and didn't have it that way, sociocracy. Mm-hmm. What is this sociocracy?
1: It is a whole systems approach to collaborative decision-making and project management and organizational governance, and it is structured in such a way that everyone in every part of an organization at every level has a voice in the policies that govern their work. I
0: just want to go collaborative decision-making.
1: Yes, so it's for decision-making for groups. Okay. But in a in a conventional, hierarchical, top-down structure, which is what we all have kind of inherited from the past, the people making the decisions and the people doing the work may not be the same people. But
0: well, more often, they're not the same people.
1: May not be the same people, right. Yeah. And the people making the decisions don't always get all the information they need to make the best decisions. So in this model... People, it's a distributed leadership model, so the people making the deci- make, doing the work are the ones making the decisions <clears throat> about their work. And yet the various parts of the organization are linked so that everything can be communicated.
0: Okay, so you normally have hierarchy even in families and churches and businesses. You have somebody at the top, a president, a pastor, mom or dad or both, and then you have people underneath them. In a, a large corporation, an IBM, MAC, they may have 20,000 employees. Um, right. So you have board of directors, and then you have a president, and then you have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten vice presidents, and then they have managers or directors under them, and it spreads out. And then the people on the manufacturing floor for Ford Motor Company have very, very little to no input into the decisions that are made on a day-to-day basis. That's the hierarchy. That's right. Okay. And so you're wanting it where the people on the floor at Ford or wherever can have a say-so in the decision-making. That's right. Okay. And that's what you call collaborative decision-making. Yes. Okay. Got it. So that's this socio-democracy sociocracy.
1: So, sociocracy.
0: Sociocracy.
1: <laughs> yes. So, let me tell you what that word is, and then I'll tell you why it's so important to have have people at all levels involved in the decision making. So, it comes from the uh, the Latin word socios, which is uh, it, it's governance by the socios, um, which is a Latin word for a companion or people that you have an association with. So, you're making decisions with people that you have some social relationship with. As opposed to democracy, which is governance by the masses—people that you don't necessarily have a have any relationship with—it the, the, was started by a Dutch electrical engineer named Gerard Endenburg, beginning in the 1970s, and it's been developing since then. Um, he looked at and it, it, he developed it to run his um, electrical contracting company. So he looked at a typical organizational chart, which we've all seen a zillion of. And he said, I'm an electrical engineer, I know about power systems. I would never design a power system this way. There's no feedback, you can't steer it. So all of sociocracy can be viewed as, as an answer to the question, how can we steer our organization? And in fact, you need the perspective of people at all levels of an organization when you're making when you're making decisions. I like to, to think of the analogy of the human body. Every cell is, is is contributing information to how things are functioning in the body. And if you ignore any group of cells or if you ignore any organ or even any group of cells, you're in trouble. They all have different information. So we need the perspective of the people at the, the quote, top of an organization. We need the people um, at the, quote, bottom. And we need a way of integrating all the information. And that's what sociocracy provides for us.
0: So, the, the body has, I not know, millions, millions of cells. Mm-hmm. And they're all communicating. Mm-hmm. The finger communicates. The, the E bone, <laughs> the, the neck bone is connected to. and I, So everything is connected and everything is sending information to the brain, to the heart, to all of the function, every function of the body. And if any group of cells don't communicate, then that, group of cells get left out. Either get left out of food or get left out of oxygen, and then therefore the that part of the body gets broken down. Yes. Some disease or something mm-hmm. happens. So in a system, so electrical engineer in the 1970s, so this is really really new, and he's looking at the way systems work. Electrical systems work. He said, oh, I would never create an electrical system like this, so how would I create this? That's neat.
1: That's right. Uh, that's and it's based on um, principles of of cybernetics and 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 systems thinking for, for those whom that for whom those terms mean something.
0: <laughs> okay, it doesn't mean much to me. Cybernetics. Okay, I got the body though, and yeah, communicating. Good. good. Okay. So in 1970s, he's doing this for his own company. Yes. And so that he's making a system so everybody has a say. Yes. Okay. So now we're we're this is everything co-op. So I just want to get really quick in here. What does this have to do with this whole co-op model? What is this sociocracy?
1: It's just a, such a good fit for, for co-op. Looking at the co-op principles, it fits so well with the values of, of, of co-op. Principle number two is democratic member control. So in a conventional business, the owner controls the business and the boss says what to do. Yep. In a co-op, Everybody's one of the bosses, and I say, if I'm a member or, or an employee, I say I have a vote in running the business. But that's still a win-lose majority system. So, Sociocracy gives a deeper form of, of democracy because of the method of decision-making that we use. Um, we do it by consent, which maybe I'll get into um, a little a little later. So it's really a way of providing a voice for everybody, and it does it in a way that the voices cannot be ignored. The principle number four is uh, autonomy and independence. It's a core value of sociocracy that a self-owning organization um, cannot be taken over by some organization. So it's fully congruent with that principle. There's things that can be said about each of the principles, but every part of sociocracy supports supports those principles. And it gives you a structure that actually supports the collaboration, the, co- the cooperation. If it's a conventional hierarchy, which is mostly the most organizations either have a conventional hierarchy or a completely flat organization. And either one of those has drawbacks. This is a way of actually getting the best of both, a flat structure for making decisions about how we're gonna do our work and a vertical structure for day to day getting things done. And it it just supports what we're trying to do in cooperatives much better.
0: Got it. So those are two. Now I do I know we talked about a little later getting this consensus piece. But in a democracy, most of the time, it's 51%, a majority. That's correct. So you talk about 49% could say no to something, 51 say yes, 49% feel like they've lost, 51 say they've got it, and so you still have potentially people not fully invested in the decision. Exactly. And they can then pull back, consciously or unconsciously, in implementing it. Exactly. All right. So you, in this consent thing, I've heard this consent thing. You've got to have 100% of the people to say yes?
1: Well, not exactly. Consent means that no one has a paramount objection to a policy decision. So let me unpack that a little bit. Each group of people who works together on a regular basis, whether it's a committee or a team or a, or a department, gets get together periodically for for policy meetings where they determine how they're going to work together, how they're going to do their work, including how they work together. And that's called a circle meeting. And each circle, when it's set up, has an aim or set of aims and a domain of responsibility that everybody agrees to. If an individual cannot do their work towards that commonly agreed upon aim or set of aims, then they raise an objection. That's the basis for raising an objection. And then they say why they object. They can't do their work or it would put our aim at risk because of whatever reason. Those objections are then owned by the group, and collectively they will then problem-solve until they meet those objections. And until they meet the objections, there's no decision. So they're not actually looking for agreement. They're looking for something that they can all live with, that where they can all – it's within their range of tolerance. They can do their work with that decision, which is 100% is what's usually required by – consensus means different things in different places, but consensus it usually means 100% agreement. And in that, we're not actually looking for agreement. We want to surface the objections because we then use those to make a better proposal, to make something that's actually going to work for us.
0: Wow. It's amazing to me. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you. And for everybody out there, I met Sheila in San Diego a month or so ago at the California Center for Cooperative Development's annual meeting. And I sat in a two hour, maybe it was a three hour class. I only sat in an hour and a half because I had to prepare. I was doing the keynote speech out there. And I got a taste of this, uh, just enough to sort of say, I really like this and want to know more. And so I invited her on the program so we could talk about it more and also give you a sense of this sociocracy. 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 Keep on keeping it. Got it. Perfect. Sociocracy. Yeah. Sociocracy. Got it. Okay.
1: So I, I, adre- I talked about how it matches well with the principles. There's also some advantages for any organization, including a co-op. Most organizations, when they start using sociocracy, find that they, their meetings are much better. They're much more productive. They're more enjoyable. I know of one group that said they've made more decisions in the past two months than they have in the past two years. Mm. And, and I know of many examples where people are actually energized at the end of a meeting rather than depleted.
0: Well, we're going to come back and talk more about the benefits, but we're going to get ready to take our first break. If anybody out there have a question or comment about how this works or what this is, sociocracy, hot dog. And you could call in at 1-800-450-7876. If Sheila I will either answer your question or we'll take it down and get back to you with it. You can call in at 1-800-450-7876. We're going to take our first break. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WO at 9519 FM. Information is power. That's why the WL is a great partner for us, because NCB and I, Vernon Oaks, and this Everything Cooperative radio program is giving you the information to start a co-op, go find a co-op, so that you can help improve your community, your family, yourself. And that's where the power comes in. It's using the information. And today we're giving you information about... A process of once you start your co op or your business of how you can get decisions made and implemented better than normal. Sociocracy. Uh oh, I'm, I'm getting it, Sheila. You've
1: got it, perfect,
0: friend. <laughs> so, you have done some work in the co op movements early on in your background. What was that about?
1: I have. Um, I realized that I probably owe my existence to the cooperative movement because my parents met in the old Co-op Youth League in Hyde Park in Chicago.
0: The old what?
1: Co-op Youth League.
0: Co-op Youth League.
1: I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore, but but that's where my parents met. And we lived half a block from the original site of the Hyde Park Food Co-op in, in Chicago, and we shopped there and were active members there. Um, that co-op closed in 2008. In addition, I went to, my whole family went to a camp in, in southern Michigan of Cooperative Family Recreation Camp, and I went there all my growing up years. It was a huge influence on my life, and my parents were very active in the governance of that camp. My guess is that that's part of what led to my interest in how people can make decisions together in more effective ways, because as a child, I remember the adults there spending lots of time in meetings and not always being happy afterwards. And then when I was a student, in a college student in Ann Arbor, I lived in the student housing co-ops, and I was active in the governance there. So I go way back. Time.
0: So so you are co-op baby. You you wouldn't be here if it wasn't right. for the youth league, the co-op youth league in Chicago. That's right. Where, where your parents met. Okay. That's
1: right. I, I wanted to, to add something about you say we're looking for uh, 100% and, and the, the drawback of majority vote. Can I, can I add something to that? Sure. When it's a majority vote, when it's, when it's a voting system, it can be about winning the fight. There can be polarization. There can be trying to convince, convince people that the other side isn't doing it right, rather than working together for what we agreed to do and putting together our, our best thinking to come up with the best solutions. It's a completely different mindset. We certainly see that carried to the nth degree in, in this country right now. Um, but, in fact, it's something that takes place in all our
0: organizations. Well, we really don't want to talk about the political situation in the country right now. No, That's we don't. Very depressing. Okay. Uh, but I I do say on the program often I wish our co- uh, Congress folks, the uh, senators and the House rep- representatives, could take some co-op training. Now this sociocracy training would be even perhaps better to how we could work together. Why can't we all just get along? Okay. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about how this works or what's the benefits of sociocracy. Could you go back over that again, just break it down a little bit slower, the benefits?
1: Absolutely. I mentioned having better meetings, more productive and more enjoyable. Leadership development is something that just happens inherently um, when an organization is using sociocracy. And there's a number of reasons for that. But the
0: there's a really wonderful way
1: of, of choosing people for, for jobs and roles and tasks that surfaces and develops leaders. So it's just one of the, the fastest way I, fastest ways I know to develop leadership from all different parts of the organization. Every group I know of that has started using sociocracy finds that they that they get more done and that they were getting things that they're getting things done that they had only thought about before, that they didn't really have a way of doing. So those are, those are some of the, the benefits that I see. They, they also report more sense of well-being and connection, which is something that most co-ops value tremendously.
0: I am writing these down because they're awesome.
1: I can give you an example of leadership development. Uh, this happened not in a co-op, but it happened in Edinburgh Electrotechnique, which is the electrical contracting company where this method was first developed in, in the Netherlands. There was one, one situation where an entire department was about to be laid off, um, and the, that was a board decision. Somebody in one of the departments had an idea for how to avoid the layoff, and it took it took two or three days for his proposal to make it from his circle up to the board level, and the board consented to it, and they put into effect the, the plan that this person had, had come up with. I think it was... An, um, an electrical engineer, and they managed to avoid all the layoffs. And it was at that point that Gerard Endenberg, who was the CEO at at that time of that company, said, we've got something new here because the leadership had come from where it it was needed. The idea came from several levels below the board in the company.
0: Okay, so something goes on economy goes bad or that's exactly
1: what happened something okay
0: economy goes bad and we're looking at a layoff which is what n- most companies do when the economy goes bad on this program we've talked a lot about oh seven, oh eight, when we had the great recession where some co-ops did not do that um they found things like what you're saying here is that okay so an engineer down in the plant somewhere or out in with the customers, say, oh, here's an idea that we can do that would avoid laying people off. Yes. What was the idea, by chance?
1: Oh, well, the, the, so I need to tell you what the situation was. The One of the things the company did was to design and build and install large electrical systems, very large electrical systems, for big ships. In the late 70s, the uh, Dutch shipping industry, um, took a nosedive due to competition from the Japanese shipbuilding industry, and they were they lost a whole bunch of their contracts overnight. So what this what the idea that this person had was to take the the, the boat division, which would, was the group that was was going to be laid off, put them in suits and ties, and give them some crash sales training, and send them out to get more business. He said there's got to be more business out there, and basically in, in three weeks. So they used their their emergency rainy day fund for that, and um, in three weeks they got more business, enough business that they never had to lay off anybody, and they diversified and became much stronger, and the the company is still going strong to this day.
0: Well, see, that's what I wanted to get to was, okay, there's a downturn, there's something negative is happening. You come up with an idea. That idea sort of makes the company stronger than what it was before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The, The downturn happened. So they get... They get salespeople They turn engineers into salespeople. Those are great skills to have, by the way, too. So, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And this came from in the organization, in the bowels, if the bowels of the ship and the bottom of the ship, and it yep. goes up to the captain who's steering the ship, the board. Yep. And in two days, you said, two, three days?
1: Was, I think it was two to three days. I don't know exactly.
0: Okay. So it happened very quickly.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, this information, this idea goes up, and they like the idea and say okay we're going to take some money and put toward it we've got a, some savings here we're going to put toward this to get this training done and they go out and they get more business and become even a stronger company than they were before the downturn so people kept their jobs <laughs> the company's stronger uh and they probably had some skill sets that the community the larger community needed that's why people bought them so everything everybody's better off <laughs> wait,
1: wait, wait.
0: Neat. Win, 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 win. Okay, so those are the benefits. So what about some examples of co-ops that use this sociocracy?
1: I can tell you a few. There's It's not a comprehensive list. There's Blue Scorcher Bakery and Cafe in Astoria, Oregon.
0: What's, it? What's the name of it again?
1: Blue Scorcher Okay. Bakery and Cafe. And it has about 35 employees, including... 12 working owners. There's Our Table, which is a farm and TSA near Portland, Oregon. And that's a multi-stakeholder co-op of workers, regional producers, and consumers. The worker part has about 20 to 25 workers. I don't know how many are involved in the other part. Um, There's a software company in London, which is a cooperative. The name of the company is Outlandish. (laughs) And they have about 20 collaborators and co-owners there's a very large organization in the Netherlands called wheels for all, which is a car sharing organization and they have about 2000 members and they're organized um, by neighborhoods and that that's a cooperative and they're using sociocracy. So sociocracy is scalable.
0: Um, Sheila, we've got to take our second break and I want to come back and, and take one of these or two of these and break them down of how they're using it, whether it's a, sound like they're all pretty much worker co-ops so i'll just define for the audience out there what a worker cooperative is and then i'd like for you to go into more detail how they're using this and again the benefits of it but we've got to take our second break and we'll be right back Mm Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Sheila, before the break, we were talking about examples of people that use sociocracy. Yeah. And you gave us four examples. And I was talking about co-ops that use it. And just very quickly, there are basically four types of co-ops. And that depends on who owns and controls the business. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. And most of these, if not all, of the four examples she gave us with worker cooperatives. If it's owned, if the business is owned and controlled by the people that use the products or services, the consumers, it's called a consumer cooperative. And you get housing co-ops, credit unions, just a number of different types of organizations. There's a health clinic, uh, Sheila, in Madison, Wisconsin, that's owned by the patients. It's a consumer oh. cooperative. Wow. Uh, then, number three, the third type is if you, and mostly farmers and artists are using this one, is they come together to buy things together, uh, a purchasing cooperative. And by buying, they buy in bulk, they hire a staff, and that staff gets to be expert in creating contracts and knowing the products that the consumers want. That, I mean, the companies or the, the members want. So they get much better products at normally at a lower price. And in DC there's a consumer purchasing alliance that was formed to help churches and nonprofits, schools buy things. And they we're able to get much better prices working together. And then on the fourth one is on the other end of it is a, a, a marketing co op. Farmers and artists are using this a lot and that's they come together to whatever they produce, they bring it to this. Marketing Cooperative and Lando Lakes, uh, Cabot Creamery, Ocean Spray, those are all co-ops, farmer co-ops that come together and they send their products to these people who processes it and then markets it to different markets to get a better a better price and more markets. So these are the basic four types of, of co-ops, and there are some combinations. You'll have some food co-ops, which – can be a consumer co-op or an employee um, worker cooperative. Sometimes they're both. Mm-hmm. So those are the different types. So can you take one of the ones that what I mostly heard, the cafe had 12 worker owners, a worker cooperative, and was another had 20 to 25. And then there was the wheels for all was 2,000 members. And I assume those were workers. That's correct. Okay.
1: So all the ones I mentioned are, are worker cooperatives. Our table is actually a multi-stakeholder co-op and I don't know. Um, I I know it's the um, the worker part that is using sociocracy, and I don't know about the other part. Okay. Um, there's there's also a large agricultural business in um, Brazil uh, called Terra Viva's in Sao Paulo, Brazil it has about 2,000 members, and they've been using sociocracy for quite a while. Um, and then there's a there's a small co-op in. Connecticut, I believe in Manchester, Connecticut, called the Monday Homeschool Cooperative, and it's about 25 families that are homeschooling their children. So I'm not sure whether that would be called a worker co op or a consumer co op. It, like it sounds like a consumer co op.
0: It sounds like a consumer co op. Those family members own it, then they're the ones that's using the products or services. So it sounds like a consumer.
1: Yes, but I think they may also be, the parents may also be doing some of the work. So it, 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 it might be a mixture. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know enough details of how they're running them. They're just getting started with sociocracy, but you're right. It's probably primarily a consumer cooperative. I know that there are housing co-ops that are using sociocracy. I just, I don't know specifically.
0: Because I'm a property manager and I manage housing co-ops, that's what I do daytime. This is my part-time, what I love doing, but I would love to know how to use this in in co-ops. I just had a meeting with, uh, a committee, a finance committee of one of the co-ops I managed last night, and I was this sort of win-lose that you were talking about. I see that happen all the time. Yes. Um, and if we could get, yeah, what are, if we get people to say, here's what I don't like about this or disagree with, or and then everybody talk about that and, and resolve it, ah, that would be neat. Okay. Oh, yes. It's,
1: it's, it's very impressive the first time you see it done. It's, even the 10th time you see it done, it's, it's quite an amazing process there's one other benefit that I didn't mention which is that many organizations um, when they start uh, implementing sociocracy find that they become more viable financially for, for, for profit
0: wait a minute you left out that
1: <laughs> it's a good thing we have breaks so I have time to think
0: <laughs> <laughs> they get more money okay <laughs>
1: for profit businesses often find that they become more profitable and even nonprofits um, just find that they become more viable financially, and it's because of h- having everybody's input. Everybody's more engaged; they get better, you know, better thinking, access to more more ideas, better decisions. A, lot, a bunch of reasons for it.
0: Well, that makes all the sense in the world. If everybody's engaged, and you have better decisions, you have better implementations. The efficiencies are better. In the case that you gave, they get. More business because people go out and sell. They get more skill. They get all of this more and more and more. So, yeah, more money. Mm-hmm. It makes all this And I have learned this a long time ago. If if you're nonprofit organizations, if you don't have some surpluses, you're going out of business.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay. So you've got to have more coming in than going out or you just won't survive. That's right. Um, and call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, nonprofit, for-profit, what whatever you want to call yourself, you've, you've – in order to survive and or grow, but I even just survive, you've got to have more coming in than going out. Exactly. Okay. Can, can you break down, take one of those examples and talk about how they use it or how they got started or give us any kind of real-time example?
1: I'm thinking, I, I don't think there are actually any of those that I know enough about to, and any of those specific organizations that I know enough about to answer your question. I can... Tell you about some organizations I've worked with that are non um, a nonprofit. It doesn't. It's not a co-op, but it it could be. It, it could be a co-op. It, what they do is consistent with being a co-op. And,
0: okay.
1: and answer the question in general of what what it takes. That'll work. Okay. So let me talk in general about how how I recommend that it, that a co-op or any organization gets started with with sociocracy and what they're going to need to have in place, and then I can give some examples. uh, organizations that I'm familiar with or have worked with. Um, Usually a few people will take part in a, in a training or do some reading um, to get them interested. And and there's trainings available in a variety of ways. There are in-person trainings, there are online trainings and several places that do that. Eventually, if they're actually going to implement it, everybody who is a member of a circle um, needs to be trained. And, Because this is learning new habits. This is part of the, for some organizations, part of the hurdle to getting started is that it does take training. You wouldn't try and use a new software system without training in some way. And it's it's, it's like a new system for running the organization and people need training in it. And it, it entails learning new habits and that takes some time.
0: This fits with the fifth principle of cooperatives. And that's education, training, and information.
1: Absolutely. Okay. And that's also a principle of, of sociocratic organizations is that every circle is responsible for um, for its own learning and development. And, and um, yeah, and we're expected to put the time into that.
0: <laughs> okay. You've used this circle word a couple of times here, three or four times. What is a circle?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. The Every group of people that works together on a regular basis, whether it's a department or a committee or a team, whatever, or a board, periodically gets together for a circle policy meeting. And in those meetings, the higher, any hierarchy they have is temporarily dissolved so that all voices are equivalent. And that happens in several ways. It happens because of the method of decision-making by consent. It also, They're also very carefully thought out formats for the meetings so that really all voices are heard. And people actually, people feel heard at the end of meetings, and they're well-run, and um, people actually get to listen to each other. Yeah, so that's that's what a circle is.
0: It's- Sheila, I don't want to listen to anybody else. I just want to talk. I mean, what are you talking about Listen to everybody? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get my point across. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> so in an organization where... They sometimes will start using sociocracy in one part of the organization, like one department or for one project. Small organization, they might um, start the whole, everybody in the whole organization starts to use it. Um, but once an entire company or organization is using it, um, everybody is a, is a member of some circle and they may be members of more than one circle. So and so all those people need, train, need to be trained and there's additional training for the circle chosen by their by their circles. They need to have a clear decision that they're actually using
0: You get that ongoing support.
1: So there's a variety of ways. Um, the, the best way is to work with a social credit consultant um, who can guide the organization through the through the implementation and even and consult with them eventually even after that. At the very least, um, you can hook up with other organizations that are using it and form a community of practice. And there are several several companies and, and organizations that will run communities of practice so so they can that coach people, they'll get some coaching in that way, and people can exchange ideas together about how to avoid pitfalls and what's working. It just means avoiding uh, reinventing the wheel. The advantage of working with a consultant is it seems so simple when you you first learn about it. In fact, there's a lot to it, Um, even just at the beginning, to design your circle structure so that it works for you.
0: But, Sheila, if I've got to hire a consultant, I've got to spend money.
1: You're going, to, you're going to spend money and time in some way. You're either going to do it up front to get, get good support, or you're going to spend it in time and frustration down the line.
0: And I thought you were going to say the implementation is faster if you use a consultant and you yeah. have less frustration. Therefore, I would think, I don't know, I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, that you would end up recouping these financial benefits and making better decisions faster and working together and having everybody feeling better when they leave work at the daytime or leaving a meeting. I would hope so. Okay, That's the goal. Those
1: are good words you put in my
0: mouth. Okay. (laughs) If anybody out there, we've got to take our, this is a final break already. Oh, I could use another hour here. Um, we're going to take a final break. If you have any questions or comments, please call 1-800-450-7876. Sheila, your last name again? Myerson. Meyerson. Okay, M-I-E-R, Meyerson, uh, is on the phone with us. She's a founding member of the Sociocracy Consulting Group, and we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The National Cooperative Bank is the sponsor of this program. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And we have Ms. Sheila Meyerson on the line with us this morning from California so it was early in the morning out there she's a founding member of the sociocracy consulting group and we we're talking about the how you start a organization that you, to use sociocracy the benefits of it and the way it works quickly how can they get a hold of you if somebody out there would like to contact you
1: our website is sociocracyconsulting.com and there's an email address
0: there okay so you could just google sociocracy S-O-C-I-O-C-R-A-C-Y, sociocracy, okay, a sociocracy Consulting Group.
1: A lot of organizations, and if you, want to, if you want to get to us, the URL is www.sociocracyconsulting.com.
0: Sociocracyconsulting.com. Yes. Okay.
1: And there are, and we, so we are five, we have five consultants in three countries, all English speaking, and we're, we talk to, to, other consultants in the United States, uh, other consulting groups, and and we have ties to consultants around the world
0: as well in other languages. <laughs> well, you know, I, d- I want to get this out a little bit. It's interesting to me that it started in the Netherlands. Yes. And if you look at the United Nations happiness result for 2018, you'll see that Finland turned out to be the first – number the happiest people in the world. It's Finland and Norway and Denmark and Iceland and Switzerland and Netherlands. That's all uh, those countries up there. (laughs) Okay. In the cold part of the world, but they are the happiest people. And we had a lady on, on the show that said from Finland that said that, uh, the reason that they are the happiest is because they have co-ops. I'm also wondering if they're using this sociocracy, uh, working together in the Netherlands and, and so forth. Um, that
1: would be interesting to find out.
0: It would be a great reason. I, I would love – that's what she surmised, is that because 25% of the households in Finland are members of of cooperatives, and as she says, she's a member of three co-ops, and they may be members of five co-ops. And I've had farm people in here say that when they grew up, like you, that they grew up in a food co-op, a credit union, a uh, some, if it's a farm, some kind of farming co-op, either purchasing or uh, marketing co-op. So you may be in four or five different, I'm in three co-ops right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I live in a housing co-op. I belong to, well, two credit unions, really. And then at this consumer purchasing alliance I talked to you about. I got my first dividend check, by the way, at their annual meeting a couple of months ago. It was $2.80, but I'm a frame, and I was so happy to get my first definition. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so that's then Could
1: I add something to um, how organizations get started? Yes. That? And then I also want to return to, to something you said about the Netherlands that I that I thought of. If an organization can't afford um, a, working with a consultant, I mentioned that it's possible to get into a community of practice, and what that would be would be an expert. You'd have peer support and people from – from your own community or from other organizations, uh, other co-ops or other types of organizations, working with an expert so that it it would be uh, – you're not getting nearly as much support as working with a consultant, but you'd certainly get some. And one thing you can do is, if you're located in the the same location, is actually sit in on each other's circle meetings and give each other feedback that way. Coach – one of the things that we do for organizations getting started is to coach their circle meetings, and that can be really helpful – um, until they, to, to help everybody in the circle, both the facilitator and everybody in the circle, learn what they're doing. The meetings can get squirrely when they start using sociocracy. The, and the reason for that is eventually most, most organizations find that, many organizations find that they spend less time in meetings from using so, sociocracy. But that, doesn't ha- that happens over time, and it does not happen at the beginning. And the, in, in general and the reason for that is is that there's now a place for all kinds of issues that have been below the surface before to now rise to the surface because there's a place for the issues to go. And so those some of the meetings um, at the beginning can be swirling it can be very helpful to, to uh, have some expert help help with that. One other thing.
0: that well, I just want to go back to this word "squirrely." Um, you said the meetings can be squirrely. What, does that mean that they're upset? There's, it takes a long time. People have debates, arguments. What "squirrely" mean? And any of
1: that? Yeah, I, as I was saying the word, I was thinking, I wonder if anyone's going to ask me what I mean by that. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure I can really say so well. Just a second, I'm sorry, I lost, I
0: lost my. I, I would think that there there might be.
1: If they could be contentious.
0: Start off with there's arguments and frustration because they don't know how this thing works. They know how the old one works. And you've got, the, you got things on the floor that they haven't talked about. They hadn't talked about them because they're hard to, to get to a con- conclusion or decision.
1: Right. And sometimes they don't know all the processes to use in the meetings to, uh, to know how to handle it. Okay. And, that, and that, that, can, that can send beginners off track. So having an expert there can, can just make it so much easier.
0: So with a consultant, you can work through that or get help in working through that, and without some support, consultant or peers, then frustration could get so high that they just say, go back to the old way.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and I do know of that happening occasionally. The one other thing is, and t- in addition to training initially, um, an organization will want to set up a way of training, uh, of ongoing training, because as there are new members or new employees, um, the, the, all those
0: people will need to be trained. Ongoing so. training is so, so important. Uh, Dr. Jessica gordon Nimhar wrote a book called Collective Courage about African-Americans and their history with the cooperative processes and principles and businesses. And there's a lot of history there. And she said when people got in trouble, they went back to, the, they, they call them training bees. They went back to just the training to help them get out of trouble and keep them moving forward. So this ongoing training is critical, critical, critical for any organization, particularly starting something so new as sociocracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: The the other thing about um, the beginning, consulting at the beginning, or being in, in a community of practice. In addition to meeting processes, is there circle structure because that can make a huge difference. So to to get to get help with that, and the last thing is to anticipate that it will take time because it's establishing new habits for people.
0: Establishing new habits takes time.
1: It does. So okay. can I tell you something about uh, the Netherlands and, and socioeocracy? Yes. In the Netherlands, there is a um, – this has to do with avoiding some of the contention that can be in majority vote decision-making. In, in the Netherlands, any company that's it, it, over it's either 30 or forty, 40 hundred number of employees, is required by law to have what they call a a works council, which is sort of the equivalent of an in-house union in the United States. There's an exemption from that law for companies that are run sociocratically. And the reason for that is, is that they find that it's actually more, that workers' interests are better taken care of through sociocracy than through a union because, it turns what can be a combative situation into a collaborative
0: one. So, in the Netherlands, they have a law that says you have to have a working council that works with this the unions. Called the works council. That works with the unions, or is that the union?
1: It's like a union. It's like a like an in house union in
0: the United States. And Maybe that's why they're happy too, because the laborers have voice. That could be. Because unions in the United States have been on a downcline.
1: Absolutely. Okay. But it turns out that the workers in sociocratic companies are even happier than than. When, A union. Than than having the work council. Yes.
0: Okay. Let's be happy. Let's start co-op, sociocracy in your co-op. Okay. Be happy. Okay. So we talked about the governance structure. We have feedback loops. We have consent decision making. But so how- we
1: haven't actually talked much about the feedback loops, other than. I just—I may have mentioned that they exist, but there are feedback loops built in in a number of ways in in a sociocratic organization, and we're not going to have time to go into that today.
0: I got it. That's why I said we need another hour. Yes. So how do we get cooperation among cooperatives, which is the sixth principle? And we only have a couple minutes here.
1: Okay. It's easy to link different co-ops by forming an alliance and sending representatives to each other's boards, or they could even sit on... The other, any of the other working circles um, if they want to exchange like ideas about marketing or ideas about anything. It provides an easy way for organizations to network.
0: Yeah, I could see this when you were talking about the peers and one group that has a little bit more history of sociocracy, working on others and maybe sitting in on each other's circles.
1: Yes. Okay. And can, they can actually be full members of each other's circles so that they have the power of Wow. Don't give up anything by doing that because it's not a majority vote.
0: Okay. What would you like to leave people with? Besides, if they want to get a hold to you, go to sociocracyconsulting.org. Dot com. Dot com.
1: reduce so many of the frustrations that all of us are used to in organizations.
0: But thank you. We've got to run. Everybody out there, please live this next week cooperatively sociocracy. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sheila. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOLF 95.00.